Welcome to African Film. African film lovers and cinematic explorers, welcome to a special episode of the African Film Podcast. Now, if this is the first time you're with us, welcome. This is a space where we explore African cinema through the eyes of its practitioners. In studio with me is an all-round filmmaker and one of my most cherished collaborators. He starred in films like Kalushi, directed made-for-television films like Hokena, as well as starring in Netflix's latest blockbuster, Silverton Siege. I'm talking about Tabor Ameti. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. That's a great intro. I need to hire you to come around and just intro me everywhere I go. That would be amazing. Oh, no, I've been told I'm a, I've been told I'm a fantastic guest. It's one of the things that I pride myself on. I'll take the gas, man. I'll take it. <laughs> so now, for those of you who aren't aware, this is this usually started off as an African film club where we used to use stream films online. We always start with the same question, which is, what is your favorite African film and why? Ooh. What is my favorite African film? And it doesn't have to be what you think is the best. It's no, my, fav- my favorite, personal favorite for you, yes. Wow. Um, there's a few. I'd probably say Jerusalem is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's such a great story. It's kind of what I like. Um, and also, Jafta Mamabola was in it. And I remember watching a young guy who kind of looked like us be a lead in a movie. That was the first time I saw a young black male lead in a like, movie. Yeah. South African movie, so. I really uh, that you could identify with. Yeah, yeah. And then also, you know, Rapulana was there. Rapulana Spima, who's such a great actor, also became a mentor later on. So I've got to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, there probably are better ones, but yeah, that's... No, no, no. Jerusalem, actually. No, Jerusalem is a solid pick. I, I think it was the first one... It was the first South African film I watched at the cinema, so it also yeah. has a special place in my heart. But the theme for this episode uh-huh. is adaptation, and you are very, very versed in character adaptation, oh. building things from things that already exist as opposed to whether it's fictional or real. So, also now keeping with favorites, what have been some of your favorite character adaptations? African or like just in the world? General. Oh, wow. I'd probably say that's a great question. Uh, Tom Hardy as Bronson. So there's a famous prisoner in the UK called Charles Bronson who he took his name from the movie star. Yeah. So him and Nicholas Winding Refn is one of my favorite directors. They did sort of like a theatrical version of this prisoner with Tom Hardy and he transformed so beautifully. So that's definitely one of them. I'd have to say probably Ray. Ray was amazing. <laughs> what Jamie Foxx did by playing Ray Charles, that was the most complete transformation I've ever seen. Where you couldn't really tell the difference between the, the, the character and someone as iconic. You couldn't actually see Jamie Foxx, you just saw Ray Charles. Ali. We don't give Will Smith enough credit for Ali. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, he slapped the crap out of that role, I tell you that much. No, no. And it was his first Oscar nomination, which he, was. I actually thought it was ripped off there. Who, who won that, Jerry? Uh, that was Denzel Washington won for Training Day that year. Yeah, he got ripped off. I don't think Denzel should have won for Training Day. I think Denzel was better in um, Man on Fire, which he never got nominated. I think John Q is one of his most slept John on. Q is definitely. John Q is one of those films where it, it literally lives on his performance because. Some of the story elements aren't as strong. No, they're not. But you buy everything because of that. So now that we have a, a good sense of the, the type of characters that you like in terms of adaptation, what has been your process when it comes to adapting characters? Do you know, I, I, I'll i say this, I've been very fortunate enough that the characters I've played other than young Nelson Mandela, there generally isn't much because of the nature of the apartheid government, they redacted and tried to remove as much information. 
especially tapes or whatever of the of the sort of people I played because they were quite controversial. Yeah. So I technically had a blank slate because you're not gonna find much footage or stuff of Solomon Matlango and Calvin Kumado is not a real character. He's just yes. based on. So I've actually gotten away with it. Nelson Mandela was a little trickier because, like, and I played him for like a, a, a History Channel documentary, so it doesn't really count. No, and you are actually quite, um, quite right about that because I tried researching on the Silverton Three, yeah, and I went for pages and pages, and I couldn't find anything on them. All I could find was the TRC documents, yeah. which was not about them, but about the um, the lady, the lady who, who survived, yeah, who got yeah, shot, shot and survived, and as well as all of the different versions of what people thought happened yeah, but it's yeah. what people thought happened, happened because again this was a rogue mission there's not much in our country yeah no man actually you'd find the truth so i remember when i was touring with kalushi with the other form with other african filmmakers and i asked them they, they were like so impressed that we south africans could tell the stories of our people and i'm like why don't you guys do it and you know what they said to me they said and i think this guy was from central african republic and there was another guy i'm not sure which country and he said the party that comes in erases all evidence of previous heroes and only places their heroes. Like, they quite literally removed them from history. Which I was like, what? And this is not like colonial powers. I'm talking about just from a political stance. They remove that. So, we're very fortunate to have what level we do have. But I can imagine how hard it is on the African like, plane. But even on our side, if we're now actually moving politically, a lot of our, even our own personal mm-hmm. history is kind of wiped from that. But then I'm curious, since you're saying, since you ha- do have this blank slate, does that is that something that actually brings you comfort in yeah. from a creativity perspective? Yeah, definitely. Look, I don't think uh, unless you are doing a Jamie Fox, like it's very hard to like really get somebody nailed down without them being a caricature, and then also still being able to carry an emotional story. I just chase sort of truth in the sense of their essence, right? So, like with Solomon Matlang, for example, I didn't play. His brother, I'll give you an example. So his brother, I asked him when I was asking his brother, like, yo, did he have girlfriends? Like, whatever. He's like, no, he didn't have girlfriends. I was like, well. <laughs> then I realized something important. You can ask each family member, but they only know the version of them that they met. That they knew. that, they, like, And his, his brother was like his father, so he wouldn't be sharing things like that. So to get a holistic version of someone is actually quite difficult. Incredi- unless they're well documented, everyone has such a different variation of that person. And so that's what I did. I I took a little bit of this, I took a little bit of that, I took a little, and then I, I made somebody. And sometimes I steal from people who aren't them at all. So I'll steal from, um, Solomon was a purposeful choice to represent the youth of that generation in one human being. Yeah. That's really what it was about. And so I stole from all the people I heard about, Ashley Krills and et cetera, and I sort of mashed them up into one person. So now when we move into Silverton Siege, because the Calvin character, when you, when you look at the court documents, they, all, they always talked about there was one that was quite emotional that wait there were two that were quite emotional and then there was one that was very aggressive i'm uh, i'm assuming the one that was very aggressive was calvin oh and well, okay. i'd probably say terrible so. <laughs> yeah. but um you and you injected a lot of empathy specifically in the quieter moments even when he's begging people to do things you can feel that he's begging them not as an order but even from a place of like desperation and yeah. stuff. So what I wanted to uh, understand now more so, what was that process like in building Calvin for Silverton Siege? Oh, that's very interesting because I hated the character. I probably still do hate the character. Why? I don't agree with any of his decision-making process. Like he, he makes sweeping decisions that affect other people so drastically without considering them. And he behaves sort of like this autonomous ruler, in my humble opinion. And I didn't really like that. Yeah. 
but I also caught myself judging my character, which Something I you're not supposed to do. <laughs> you're told even as yeah. And I, I, I've never said this, but I, I always feel like I'm playing passive characters. They look like they're doing stuff. But if you actually watch the movie, they're actually not really doing anything. And that's been my... People worry about me to being typecast as this. No, that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that my character looks like they're doing something, but they really aren't. They're not progressing the story forward. And I, I argue with, for something like Kalushi. Tawo Malema's character. This guy is the real lead. Mundi's the real lead of the story because his actions actually propel the story forward. Yeah. Whereas I thought Solomon was just an innocent bystander. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. To watch a movie through the innocent bystander gets swept up into it. Yeah. With Calvin, it's a bit of both. There are a lot of yeah. story elements are pushed by other characters, but also so he's he very does. much. So actually, it's, yeah, it's quite ensemble push when you're looking at it from that perspective. Yeah. So I was like, okay, and it's really an ensemble. It really is an ensemble cast. That's why every actor had to be strong. If you notice, even people who had two lines were like, if you check out their CV, it's like, holy crap. Yeah. You know, so that was that was necessary. But um, yeah, that's my only thing is that I feel like you're typecast with that. I don't remember your question because I'm... So the question much. was, what was the actual process in oh, approaching yeah. building? Didn't, I didn't like him as, as a, a character, person, yeah. as a person. But then we went to Patla, which is a ritual we do, especially with Madla Dube. Before I play a character of someone based in real life, I go to their, their tombstone and then we do a traditional ceremony where it's ask permission to tell their story. We usually go with their family members, and we did for this, and we did for some. I've done it for quite a few characters. And then one of the daughters were there. I'm not sure whose daughter. I think it was Funny's daughter. And uh, and she was telling us about and asked questions. They're like, "Oh, my dad was a boxer." So as we're at the thing at the tombstone, yeah. and she says that all the boxers, all the guys from the gym, took his coffin and put it on their shoulders, and you saw these big muscular guys walking through the township with this coffin. And when I had that image, I was like, okay, he's a boxer. Yeah. So then I looked at Marvelous Marvin Hagler, who's my favorite like, boxer, and I also looked at um, uh, Evander Holyfield as look references, because I was like, oh, that's a classic mustache, beard, bald head. So I was like, okay, I'm going to shave my head to look like Marvin uh, Hagler, to look like, well, I haven't told people like that. So that's where I based my body. I was like, oh, so that's how he looks like. And then on an emotional level, I was like, but he's still a kid. Right? Yeah. Funny enough, the same guy, they, they were telling me that he slapped this white lady at a hospital back then because she called him the K-word. He just slapped her. Like, and I'm like, in the 1970s, like, yeah, he just walked up. Right. And she called him, and said, what'd you call me? And he just slapped her. I was like, holy crap, Damn. that's a different... So he was militant. He was, <laughs> you know, and so I, I took a little bit of those things and then created something new. But now looking at the things, right, I, I, I know you have said that because of our history and the way our history is set up, that a lot of stuff from an adaptation perspective, it's kind of almost blank slatey. Mm. But when we're looking at it, not not just from character adaptation, but now from a holistic film perspective, are there any differences that you found working on these types of projects that differ from what working on wholly original work? Research. I think with wholly original work, you have so much freedom to just make up the world as you go, unless it's like rooted in some science. Yeah. But with historical stuff, like you see the wardrobe is important, the language used is important, you have to sort of place yourself in there. And then there's also like misconceptions of how people sounded like, for example, right? People assume that the accent for the average black person back then was what we share in the hood now. But we know that's the exact opposite. Yeah. If you actually you listen, listen to your uncles and how they talk. Or you're like, like, okay, they what we call Model C now. Ironically, right, is how Chris Honey speaks, is how um, uh, Steve Biko speaks, is how Robert Zubuko speaks. That's the irony because people forget people were brought up in the sort of classic British pronunciation of words. Yeah. 
And so there's misconceptions and then sometimes you'll get a review commenting on those things and you're like, I wish I could just actually play you the reference stuff and you know, they could figure that out. So it's, it's a lot of more research and you, you held more to being truthful as the artist and not care about what the audience thinks. Because even with that, um, when you're speaking about that, because because um, I can even look at my own history, because even prior to Bantu education, you had so many properly well-educated varsity uh, students, scholars, and those those are my grandparents. When I look at my grandparents, both my grandparents are actually educated yeah. prior to the Bantu education, and the way they speak is not how most of the stuff that I see in terms of representation then comes up. So I do get where that um, misconception <laughs> might come in. Misconception yeah. might come in, but then it is, like you are, are saying, very important to kind of bring that back and show that this did exist. We had all of these different variations of colors of who we were, who we could embody. I also really like that boxer thing because now it's <laughs> it's coming back in because boxing is now now adds a, a different dimension that I hadn't picked up when watching because there's a boxing promoter in the film. It's not 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 There's a lot of actual boxing themes as a background running within the film. So what were some of your favorite elements then within working with Calvin and putting that into the performance that you were like, okay, this is going to be like my little touch of how I'm going to make this. Well, I got to design the whole character's look. They let me design the character look how I wanted. I picked scars. So like I've worked with these, with the makeup artists, uh, Nicola, um, uh, Katie, uh, Ronwin. I've worked with them on previous projects and they were on Kalushi as well. I've worked with the wardrobe person, so there's such a mutual respect. The one thing I had to fight was everyone always says I have a baby face, so I can I can't play like rough and tough characters, and I, I've always called BS on that. Yeah. So um, and I said like, well, just give me all the right makeup artists, and I finally got my makeup team. So I was like, guys, let's show these guys that I can look a bit rough. I can keep the baby face, but I can look a bit rough. And so I was able to put scars and I and I changed my body, you know, to to match that. So I did a lot of boxing training, military training, and I just changed my body to be top heavy. Uh, and I didn't use, like to change my body, which I know is going to sound weird, I didn't use roids or anything. And that's not typical in in acting. Because we don't get tested by USADA or something like that. So And also a lot of the times you guys aren't given a lot of time to do your body, body transformation. transformation. I, and I wasn't, I was given a month to train, you know, to transform. So actually roids probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have enough time for roids. But also I just thought to myself like, well, this guy probably didn't have access to those things. You know what I mean? And he yeah. still built a body. Yes, he built it over years. So I, I, my workout was clean, was like really practical muscle building. And then also just be able to be able to pick up an AK-47 with one hand that's fully loaded and just making sure I had practical muscles that could, it wasn't for vanity. It was literally like, can he jump over? And also he had this asthma story thing that I hated, which I just completely hated. They should have removed the <laughs> asthma thing. And I told them I hated it, but the writer had asthma and he wanted it. So I thought to myself, okay, why would they let someone with asthma out in the field? He must look like a... Like yeah. a, you know, he must he must make up for those deficiencies in some way. So uh, yeah, so I was able to like build a lot around the page, and I just literally created the character from complete scratch, and I love that. It was so much fun. And we have had a conversation about this previously on all that yes um, about the themes with both of these films, Kalushi and Silverton Siege, being both in Kota Siege films, mm-hmm. and that you had hinted that there is that this is an intentional theme, and that there's a third one. Yeah. So. What is what is the overall vision when it comes to these types of films and what it is that's trying to be conveyed as a anthological body of work? Because I can't yeah. call it a... No, no, that's, that's yeah. accurate, I think. 
Look, I think we realized even with the first movie that people don't really want to hear about their history. And I think one, okay, fair play. There's been a lot of like brutality and, and you know, black pain and, and poverty porn in some of those movies. And I, and I get that. People don't want to see that or be depressed or angered. And also we're at a stage in our life where we're all healing and working together and living and sharing South Africa together. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at any great nation, yeah. It documents its history. It celebrates its history all the time. You know, I'm Jewish, and you know, the Jewish people will never let you forget about the Holocaust ever. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And you, you can go to, I mean, Winston Churchill when they told him to drop the arts budget uh, during the war. He says, "Then what are we fighting for?" And what he meant by that is that you need to catalog your history as a people and remind the people all the time, so these things one don't happen. Also, to remind yourself where you come from, and also remind yourself. What, what's been fought for for where you currently are. And that you're capable of changing your current circumstance. Like right now, the oppressor looks different, but we still have an oppressor. And we rem- that's maybe it's good to remember that, hey, listen, we fought things like this before. We fought corruption before. We, we fought abuse of power before. Here's an image of how people have done it before. There's a reason they removed it. Yeah. The reason they removed these stories is because they didn't want people to be reminded of what they could do. So I felt a responsibility in telling all my all the films I, I try to do are mostly about African history. Not just I've only actually played only two out of my eighteen credits. I've only ever played like two, well, okay, three like historical figures of like of this kind of uh, nature. And yet uh, people say I've been typecast, you know. So the, well, I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's more so because those are the ones that, that people, the South African, South African people. people, because I know mo- a lot of people don't even know that you're in the Mauritanian, yeah, yeah. and that was a Academy. It was Academy nominated, yeah. At least Golden Globe nominated. That I know for sure. <laughs> but you you have had a more um, global work appeal that uh, maybe a lot of our local audiences have not known. So if what they think about you is Kalushi, and then the next thing it's a mandala, and then yeah, it's that's what they so see. So it's in like, siege. Oh it's <laughs> I don't mind, man. Uh, I don't mind. It, it 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 paints this picture of of the of um Chadwick Boseman sans Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we well, playing forty seven. He was playing everybody. He Marshall. All, yeah, yeah. That, that was his thing, and and he did it actually. So uh, yeah, like did. just playing uh, all of these different types of roles. Uh, building on what you're talking about, I think also the value in in history and his historical storytelling, not just knowing where we come from, is that the more history you know the more you're able to see systems and cycles. Mm-hmm. And that is actually what then allows you to then, not, not even just for the sake of knowing what has happened, but the more you know cycles, the more you can even anticipate things, or you can like build on things to be able to say, if this didn't work like this, you can iterate different processes. But if you're not revisiting these things, there's very little to iterate. And America really does that fantastically because as much as we say we do a lot of biopics, I don't think we actually do. Not even come Because close. every year when you look at the Oscars, if you just look at the Oscars Always alone, been... 70% of the films which are actually nominated and most of the award-winning films from an acting perspective are biopic roles. 100%. Do I agree with that a lot no, of the times? Not really, but it then speaks to the, the whole archiving process and why people love it and why even specific Specifically with the Oscars, yeah. when a lot of the films which they nominate tends to be about the filmmaking process, so they're they're still archiving, archiving yeah. filmmakers archiving the filmmaking process, That's Americans true. archiving American. So I, I I do then understand that with you. So then moving forward, where does this go from a acting perspective? So it's actually quite exciting because 
I mean, if you look at the UK, they've done like a thousand movies about Queen Elizabeth. Like, they're never, there'll probably be another one coming out next year. I've actually got no next doubt. Next year. Like, probably out now, this year, right? <laughs> this year, yeah. there's probably some Queen Elizabeth movie. And also Diana, I think that... Diana like, now is the new thing she's going to be for the next 20 years. Yes. But we haven't touched almost any of ours. And now I'm privileged enough, I'll be, I, I should probably announce it. But like, I'll be doing like Yasuke, for example, the live action version of like Yasuke with my Dube. So that's a Japanese samurai. That's still our history. And he's from Southern Africa. He's right here from what Sorry. we now call Mozambique. You know what I mean? So I can tell that story. I can tell the story of Minamutapa, the great emperor. Like, there's so much story. I mean, it talks to play another great uh, Southern African uh, military uh, general, which I will not get into. You know what I mean? So I have this plethora of exciting, well-researched, well-rounded characters to play. Like, if all I ever did was just play actual life characters, I'd have a sparkling career. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, even if people are saying, oh, you're always doing historical movies. Okay. But guess what? 30 years from now, they'll still be watching that because that history will always need to be told. And they're going to... Kids don't want to read books. I don't know if people are going to be reading books even in like 30 years from now. No, they will. It's just... Maybe audio. It'll they'll be, be more a, a niche thing. No, here's the <laughs> thing. Because people always said radio would die. Radio has never died. It just right. finds its... I believe each of the different formats have something specific that's unique to them. So, for example, with like reading a book, there is very little that you can... With reading a book, it allows you to imagine a world. I agree. And you can't get that from an audiobook. The audiobook, they still... They build the world with you. So, there's an element of your free imagination. Okay, I feel you. That I feel you. if you then have that moment when you're a kid and you'll be like, no... I like building right. in my mind, which audiobooks can't give you. And then radio, the specific things, even with podcasts, you yeah. can see that if you have an audio-only podcast, you're able to manipulate a lot of things. So, okay, but radio will die. It just adapts and finds niche audiences. But uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but um, I'd like to discuss a little bit of the cost. The actors there are the, heavy, my G. How did you got? What went into building that chemistry? Because everyone, everyone said this is the chick. Okay, I'm cashing it, and I need more. <laughs> yeah. So I need to understand from that pers- perspective as we wrap up. What was kind of building that chemistry like, and what was it on set working with each other and building this thing that feels so real, lived in, and genuine when you watch something for you? I think the first thing is don't cost using Instagram or Twitter followers. Not that there's anything wrong with being a good actor with those things, but that shouldn't be the driving force of something. You should just get the right person for the right role. Yeah. That, I think, was successful here. And Bonnie Lee Bowman, who's a great casting director, she cost very well. Second to that is do something which is alien here. Rehearsal. <laughs> you know? Uh, Mandat Dube <laughs> insists on having it in his budget a month of rehearsal. And it saves you so much time. The, the product is so much better. Also, Madla Dube, and I say this all the time, he, he treats actors like a department. He gives you prep time. He asks what tools you need. You know, so if you're a camera guy and you need to do a camera test a month before, he's going, okay, but what does the actor need to do a month before? Yeah. Oh, you need to train. You need to have research. He literally built, quite literally, built an entire exhibition with research and everything about... He did all our work for us, too. Honest with you, I was telling my dude, like this is actually the actor's job. He does so much research with Kalushi alone. He made me walk the journey of Solomon. I literally went to the place he was born, to the place he went to his, his first primary school, high school, where he got initiated, where he made his first golf. We literally traveled the country so I could walk this young man's journey. And I think having a director who treated this very similarly as well, you know, so that was amazing. And then sitting with guys like Arnold Forslow, Nicolo Lamini, who's like, I think she's like the megastar of like the country now. If, if, if the world does, if South Africa doesn't know, 
the world knows Nicola Lamini is probably going to be the next breakout superstar, without a shadow of doubt. Well, she's what two straight years of being a league because last year was driver, driver. Now it's uh, Silverton Siege. There's something else. She's doing something now. I don't yeah, know if I'm allowed to I talk about it. I can't remember. Right no, now. I know what it is. I just I don't know if I'm allowed to say. But she's she's. She, I think she's booked out for the whole year. Quite literally booked for the whole year. You never hear an actor say that in this country. And you can feel it also specifically in her physicality. Her physicality she's got great in this. Physicality. She yeah. she brings that type of physicality yeah. to the role. Steffi Rasmus was also amazing. Dusho Masha, like the cast is Michelle Musolakai, who is for me miles ahead of most of us in the game as an actor and I don't even think this role tested her she's frightening you should check out her stuff on YouTube where she's acting because she doesn't get a lot of parts because she's a person living with albinism yeah. and so all they ever want her to play is people with al- albinism so we're on YouTube for the people who are listening just search Michelle Mosalakai that's it so, like you will find her uh, just search her she does these monologues so she does like famous movie monologues she did one with La La Land and it's easily one. it's better than uh, Emma Stone's one I say that without flinching. She does an American accent for... She does it without flinching. She's sensational. So, yeah. So, I, I just... The cast was sensational. I was excited by it. And it was really good to play with everyone. Moving forth, is there anything else you'd like the people listening to know? Not just about adaptation and... and actually, more about adaptation and Silverton Siege in terms of what they can look forward to. But also just if there are actors listening to this. Um, or if there are people who are like you, who are more focused and wanting to develop a historical um, side, what are some of the things they should be thinking about or a message that you'd like to impart on the people who do want to go into an adaptation? I think firstly, watch more African films. And not just from South Africa. I've generally connected more South African movies because it's just stories I relate to, but there's great stories coming out of Ghana, Morocco. The DRC. The DRC makes sensational work. They're action films, my wow. God. <laughs> Senegal, Cameroon, Nigeria, that's not Nollywood. So Nigeria has also just films. So there's so much great African film, historical African films that we can check out. So do a lot of that. And just tell the stories for the people you know. Tell your mother's story, your grandmother's story. You'll be surprised how many amazing stories are just waiting there. So tell the stories you know. Also Kenyan films, I know you didn't mention those, but... Uh, who I think are the best actors. Let me say something. There's, there's actually, I'm not fearful of American actors or British actors. Kenyan actors. <laughs> and British actors from African descent. I feel like Kenyan actors, a lot of Kenyan actors also have like a Britishness of not like the... Yeah, they do a little bit. They're deadly, man. I won't mess with those. The, the regalness sometimes that they approach characters. There's a certain level of theatricality based from, based of coming. That's what that's what I meant when I was looking at. I thought movies it. was like the Meryl Streep's and like great actors, like great actors. I'm, I'm like, I'm not shook. But to be honest with you, when I meet up with these African, like Kenyan dudes and like, uh, sorry, these Brit- British Africans, or like just people from Kenya, etc. I'm like, okay, I have to work today. I, and now in wrapping up, if people want to know more about you, where can they find information on you, um, your socials, and all those great things? Well, you don't bother yourself with that, okay? <laughs> because I do not post anything of interest. What you can do is you can check out any movies. You can check out like Netflix or etc. and watch all the great African content and don't bother yourself with me. Just find, just search South African films, South African cinema, and you'll probably find something. Well, that was the first episode of the second season of the African Film Podcast, where we explore African cinema through its practitioners. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I really enjoyed this conversation and, and exploring adaptation. We had a few tangents, but I, I, I do think uh, it's, it's very important to look at adaptation as a form of art 
and for all of you to go out watch and watch Civilization Siege only on Netflix 27th April we live if you've got to the end of the episode thank you so much for listening African Film is back and we're hoping to come at you with episodes monthly until the end of the year we have some exciting news for you. Your boy, your host, your cinematic explorer, Yaz the Student, will be sitting on a panel at the Durban Format on the 22nd of July, 2020. It is a virtual panel that will explore new spaces for film criticism as we'll be speaking on African film criticism and analysis within the digital age. It is my first international panel and I'm very excited for it. If you're attending the Format, please do come through. Our session will be from 3 to 4 on Friday and should thereafter be available for the virtual delegates to listen to for the remainder of the market. I hope to see you there and if not i hope to see you on our next episode i am yaz and thank you for exploring african film with me